This message comes from NPR sponsor, Progressive, and it's Name Your Price Tool. Say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show coverage options within your budget. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is NPR's Life Kit. I'm Ari Shapiro. White people are taught not to think of our race. You know, we live in a society that turns race over to to people of color. They have a race. We're just people. Uh, And so we see ourselves as outside of race. And that's problematic for for many reasons. That's Robin DiAngelo, the author of White Fragility. One goal of her book is to have white people examine their own whiteness. She says white people have some go-to excuses, like... I already get racism is bad, or I marched in the 60s when people push them about racism. But D'Angelo says that kind of thinking not only misses the point, it often shuts down any opportunity to grow. There's so much potentially rich insight that we can gain from deeply reflecting on our own racial experiences. In this episode of Life Kit, I talk with D'Angelo about the specific steps we as white people can take to better see our own personal biases and not get defensive when looking at the ways we're complicit. This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive Insurance, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Get your quote at Progressive.com and see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Support for NPR and the following message come from our sponsor, Whole Foods Market. Host a celebratory brunch for less with 365 by Whole Foods Market. Featuring wallet-happy finds like cold smoked Atlantic salmon, mini quiches, organic everything bagels, and more. Plus, visit the floral department and jazz up your table with a beautiful bouquet of big, bright, sourced-for-good flowers. When the brunch has to be perfect and delicious, go to your local Whole Foods Market. Climate change fuels hurricanes. China promises to stop. The big lie persists. Butterflies have hearts. Singers die. Plumbers win. Nurses persevere. Your world speaks. We listen. NPR Podcasts. More voices, all ears. Find NPR wherever you get your podcasts. So how do you define racism in a way that incorporates both the overt and the insidious aspects of it, more specific than just I know it when I see it? Oh, I would actually challenge anyone who's any white person who says, I'll know it when I see it. I would say actually all of the racism I've perpetrated is nor intentional, but harmful to other people nonetheless. Racism is what happens when you back one group's racial bias with legal authority and institutional control. When you have overwhelming homogeneity at the tables where decisions are made that affect the lives of people who aren't at those tables. So when you back one group's collective bias with that kind of power, it is transformed into a far-reaching system. It becomes the default. It's automatic. It's not dependent on your you know, agreement or belief for approval. It's circulating 24-7, 365. So racism is the foundation of the society we are in. And to simply carry on with absolutely no um, active uh, interruption of that system is to be complicit with it. And in that way, we can say that nice white people are racist. We are 
complicit with that system. There's no neutral place. What are some specific steps that white people can take to see and start understanding our own biases and our own complicity and our own role in these inherently racist structures and systems that you're describing? You know, it's a little bit like saying, I want to be in shape tomorrow, uh, right? You, you're not going to be in shape tomorrow if you're out of shape. This is going to be a process and there are going to be multiple parts to that process. So I would start with some very deep reflection on what it means to be white uh, how how your own race shapes your life. We will never understand racism if we only listen to or talk to white people. I mean, our, our voices, our part in this has been missing for all too long. But again, we're never going to understand this if we don't listen to black, indigenous, and other peoples of color. So start reading what they're writing, listening to their videos, attending their talks, and, and educating yourself. And then there are two really excellent resources that I that I offer. One is Dr. Eddie Moore's 21-day racial equity building challenge. And it's, it's you know it'll walk you through a daily practice. And Leila Saad's book, Me and White Supremacy Workbook. That's a book you do rather than read. That will start us on what is a process, not a moment or an instant. For me as a white person, it's been a bit like water dripping on a rock. You know, I didn't get it the first, second, third, fourth time that I heard it or was challenged around it. And even today, every moment that I push back against this socialization, it's coming right back at me. So we can never be complacent about that. And that leads to the need for humility. You just can't know all you need to know. And so be willing to consider that maybe your opinions are not as informed as you think they are. How do you get past the defensiveness that so often comes up in these kinds of conversations? I actually think that when you change your understanding of what it means to be racist, you you will no longer be defensive. If that mainstream definition of individual conscious malintent across race not only beautifully protects the system of racism by exempting virtually all white people from that system, because who... Who among your listeners right now would ever say they're consciously, intentionally mean across race? Uh, I think that definition is the root of most of the defensiveness. And when you change your definition, it's actually liberating. And you can start getting to work actually uh, trying to identify, all right, it was an inevitable that I was socialized into the system. It's inevitable that I will have blind spots. And so I'm going to focus my energy on how I've been shaped by the system, but not if. We have to change our question. If our question is, if I've been shaped, the answer will be an easy no. And then what further action is required of us? Nothing. When the answer is how, well, that sets you on a lifelong process. So we've been talking about awareness and understanding. Let's talk about actions. I mean, just to take one specific example, how do you suggest white people can help normalize checking each other when they see racism? Well, the first thing, you know, there are two top questions I get when I give a talk. And actually, what you just asked me hits both of those. So the first one is, what do I do? 
when I get that question, I offer one back, and that is, how have you managed not to know? How have you managed to be a full-functioning, likely educated adult in 2020 and not know the answer to that question? And that's, you know, meant to challenge that person. That that's, that's on you. The information's everywhere. Why haven't you sought it out up until this moment? Take out a piece of paper and jot down your answer to why you don't know what to do or how to get started. And there will be your map. Everything you write on that piece of paper uh, can be addressed. None of it will be quick or easy. Uh, but begin with that list. The second top question that I get is, how do I tell or talk to other white people about racism? And I'm going to ask a question back before I answer it. And that would be, well, how would I talk to you about your racism? You notice that that question assumes that it's not us. We're, we're good to go. We're down. Now let's go out and change the world. Uh, it is us. We can never take ourselves out of that equation. And I think actually the more we work on our own, um, our own conditioning, the more effective we will be at helping others see theirs. How do everyday interactions like the ones that we are talking about fit into what we're seeing globally right now? People marching in the streets against state-sanctioned violence against black people. Well, We've seen these moments before. Uh, we, we thought we were post-racial after the civil rights movement. We thought we were post-racial after Obama's presidency. We are so not post-racial, and, and we have never been. Uh, I, I do see these protests um, being sustained uh, and different kinds of demands coming out of them. That is hopeful. But the key is what will happen when those cameras go away and when it's no longer, for lack of a better word for white people anyway, exciting or righteous to go down and protest. In some ways, that's the easier uh, kinds of actions. What are we going to do to sustain it when we no longer have that kind of pressure when we're back into our racial comfort zone. The status quo of this society is racism. And I, as a white person, live in that society in comfort. We've got to start making it uncomfortable and figuring out what supports we're going to put in place to help us continue to be uncomfortable. Because the forces of comfort are quite seductive. What specific steps would you recommend white people take to begin the journey? Uh, Google is your friend. Uh, there are so many good lists of things that you can do. I highly recommend Dr. Eddie Moore's 21-Day Racial Equity Building Challenge, Layla Saad's book, Me and White Supremacy Workbook. Take every seminar and workshop you can. L watch the movies and videos. So many uh, black people uh, are publishing and putting out really excellent lists. We have to break with the apathy and seek those out. Robin D'Angelo is author of White Fragility, Why It's So Hard to Talk to White People About Racism. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. 
For more NPR Life Kit, check out our other episodes. There's one on how to manage microaggressions and another on what to say when a friend is struggling. You can find those at npr.org slash lifekit. And if you love Life Kit and want more, subscribe to our newsletter at npr.org slash lifekitnewsletter. This episode was produced by Claire Schneider, Mallory Yu, and Sarah Handel. Megan Kane is the managing producer, and Beth Donovan is our senior editor. Our digital editor is Beck Harlan. I'm Ari Shapiro. Thanks for listening. For James McBride, racism in this country has been a disease. It's been the cancer that has just been killing us. And now we want to address the problem. I mean, you can't address the cancer until you know you have it. And these people are seeing the cancer. Author James McBride on protests, a pandemic, and his new book. Listen to It's Been a Minute from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Planet Oat. No deep thinking here. Planet Oat oat milk is rich, creamy, and an excellent source of calcium with vitamins A and D. Also, Planet Oat's unsweetened varieties have zero grams of sugar. Visit planetoat.com for more. Support for NPR and the following message come from Indeed. You're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash LifeKit. Terms and conditions apply. The Embedded Podcast brings you eye-opening reporting. There's something that hasn't been disclosed yet. Immersive journalism. I could smell the smoke. I could smell the dust. Personal stories. I was scared. Like, I can't protect you. We are NPR's home for documentary storytelling. Find Embedded wherever you get your podcasts.